Hello, and welcome to Quest, a vineyard church where we experience life as friends with faith through encountering God, loving others, and making a difference in our community. If you're new, there will be information at the end of this podcast where you can plug into Quest in person or online. Now let's dive into this week's teaching. Good morning, Quest. It's good to be with you. My name is Jeremy Shelley. I'm the Family Life Pastor, and I want to welcome you if uh, this is your first time to Quest or maybe you're newer to Quest. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, we've been um, in this series called One Big Story for a while where we're walking through the different stories of the Bible, talking about God's grand narrative uh, that he has given to us so that we can join in his story. And um, I'm excited. I'm really particularly excited about today's message. As I was doing some research and, and thinking about it, I just kind of get, kept getting stirred and stirred and stirred. And so I'm, I'm very excited to be with you here today uh, to talk about this. We're going to we're actually going to talk about the tabernacle and and, and what it means to us and, and why it's important for us. And and I know that on the surface, when we hear something like, oh, we're going to talk about the tabernacle, it seems mundane. It seems maybe even unnecessary. But I I, I'm telling you, man, as I was, as I was researching, I just, I kept seeing more and more. Like this is, this is such an important part for us as, as followers of Jesus to know and, and, and put into our lives. And so, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm excited to dive in with this. Uh, last week, if you were here, Ross talked a little bit about the Ten Commandments and the story of Moses as he came down from Mount Sinai. And that's ultimately where we're going to begin today is, um, is right there in Mount Sinai. In fact, it's, it's in Exodus chapter 24. So if you will, Open your Bibles up uh, uh, to Exodus 24. I want to show you something. Maybe you don't have your Bibles today. That's okay. I just want you to see uh, the significance of what we're talking about. Um, so in Exodus 24, if you open your Bible there, and then if you hold your hold that place, and, and then um, turn all the way to the very end of Leviticus, Leviticus 27. Um, it's it's. I want you to to hold all of those pages in your Bible together like this. If you have your Bible, if it's on your phone, you're not going to be able to do this. Just hold your phone up. It's basically the same thing. Um, I just realized that. I was like, oh yeah. I, I still use a paper Bible. I think it's the best way. There. Thank you. Okay. Everyone else. Thank you, Tiana. That's good. Um, no, this is this is what I want to point out here. So Exodus 24, 25, all the way through to Leviticus 27, almost 50 chapters that are dedicated to the process of building and the instructions given to the tabernacle and what we're supposed to do in it. it this is a significant part of the Bible. And and uh, and so it really is. It really is important. In fact, um, when you think about it, 50 chapters there that God gave to us about this this tent of meeting uh, that the Israelites had. How many chapters did God give to us concerning the creation of the universe? Anybody know? Less than two is what it is. Less than two. So it seems like this might be pretty significant when we think about it. In fact, um, not only did he give us less than two, it talks about the creation of the stars. These billions of stars that are in the sky. Do you know how much he gave uh, to the creation of the stars in the Bible? Five words. Five words, it's almost like an afterthought. This is what it says in Genesis 1.16. You know, all of the universes that were created that we can see with telescopes and all that kind of stuff. Hubble, thank you. Um, here it's summed up in five words. He made the stars also. <laughs> like, yeah. 
It's interesting. Um, so much more, so much more about the tabernacle and so little about the universe. And I, I think there's a reason for this. I, I genuinely think this, there's a reason for this. Um, it, it's because the tabernacle was to be a special place. It's, it's an important place for the people of God. And, and, and I might be stretching a little bit here, uh, but I would say that, it, that so much information was given to the Israelites about the creation of the tabernacle because God knew that it was man that was going to be creating the tabernacle. With man, let's just be honest, I don't mean men, so this is not a men versus woman thing, so let's not, let's, I'm not going there, but with man, mankind, it takes a lot of instruction. That also may be true about men. I, let's just be, I see women and they're like, yeah, nodding. If men don't know anything, I should write 50 chapters about how to do the dishes. I have that booklet on my dishwasher. Anyway, the tabernacle <laughs> was an important place of God. Uh, and, and I would say that there's so much about this that we really need to understand about our lives of faith. It really is applicable for us today in the 21st century as followers of Jesus to know why God spent so much time talking about the creation of the tabernacle. And so um, we're going to start the story. It begins on Mount Sinai. We just saw a picture of it. Here it is. This is Mount Sinai. And, and this is um, this is the story that starts in Exodus 24. Uh, like I said, Russ talked about it a little bit last week. So, so what's happening? happening is Moses ascends this mountain with Aaron and her and Joshua and Nadab and Abihu. He goes um, part of the way up. Then he comes back down after he's met with God and he talks to the Israelites. And, and he says, essentially, he gives them the, the covenant uh, sayings and, and he reads this to them. And, and then they say, we agree. We are with you. We will obey. And then Moses reascends this mountain and he's there for 40 days. Now, what I want you to picture is right at the foot of this mountain are where all of the 12 tribes of Israel would have been in camp. Now, this is happening after they've um, come out of Egypt. They've crossed the Red Sea. Uh, it's been split for them. I mean, already miracles have been happening by God for these people. They're encamped at the foot of this mountain. And Moses goes up and he meets with God for 40 days. And during that 40 days, we get, um, this is where the, the Ten Commandments ultimately come from. God writes them. Uh, he also gives these instructions for how to create the tabernacle. Now, the question I have for you is, do you know what happened um, to the people who were encamped at the foot of Mount Sinai during those 40 days? Does anybody know? This is, this is what um, happens, and we, we see this in Exodus 32. The people, ultimately, they become distracted. They become disheartened. They, they don't know where Moses is, what's happened to him. He's been gone for over a month. What are we going to do? And so they start to revert back to their ways that they learned in Egypt when they were enslaved. They started worshiping the golden calf. They took all of their jewelry off. They melted it down. They created this golden calf, and they start worshiping it. Now, here's the, here's the thing that I, I want to make sure that we understand. These people are at the foot of Mount Sinai where God resides. There's this cloud of smoke that is surrounding this mountain as a veil that's protecting them from seeing God and ultimately ultimately being killed. They know that he's up there. There's this powerful image standing right there in front of them. And yet, less than 40 days, they've already turned away from worshiping God and to worshiping a golden calf. It almost seems ridiculous, but it's the truth. And, and I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I think that we're very similar to them. Sometimes we can be in the middle of worship and, and not two seconds later we can turn away from God and start to worship something else. And that's really what, what we're getting at the heart of today. And, and so when God sees the Israelites uh, worshiping this golden calf, 
Um, he sees what they're doing. He becomes angry, but he doesn't punish the Israelites. This is so important for us to see. He doesn't punish them. He forgives them. And then he says, I am going to give you instructions to build a tabernacle because they're about to leave Mount Sinai. They're going to go on their way to the promised land, the land that was promised to them that's in Canaan, this through the desert. And while they go, God knows I have to provide a space for them at the center of their encampment while they're in the desert where I will reside right there among them. He's providing a way for them to be constantly reminded of his presence. Okay? And so he creates this tabernacle. And we're going to talk a little bit about this tabernacle um, uh, as, as, as it was understood by them. But here in Exodus 33, 14, this is God's heart and will for the people. God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. So God was creating a way for the people to allow their passion for God to burn every day, to be near him every day. Okay, so let's take a moment. Let's let's look at what the tabernacle was like. Um, I don't know how many of you are familiar with the tabernacle or, or the way it was set up, but there's there's a lot of things that are kind of important. We're not going to spend too much time here, but what I want you to see is this this courtyard, this white fenced-in area, and the the building that's right there. That's that's the place that building where the light is coming out of it. That's the place where God would have resided. But surrounding this this courtyard would have been where all of the twelve tribes were encamped, all of them in tents, and at the very center was this place where God lived. So they're, they're surrounded, they're surrounding God in, in his place. And um, there's this fence then that, that kind of surrounds this, this holy place. And within the fence, you, there's this square thing where a little bit of smoke is rising up. That's the, the altar where they would burn the sacrifices so that the people could receive forgiveness throughout the year on these um, Passover events. Ross talked about this last last week a little bit. Then there's this round basin in the middle. That's where the priests would wash up after they've, you know, bloodied themselves by um, splitting bulls in half and everything else. And then this tent uh, where, where ultimately God will reside. And we're going to talk a little bit about what's in the tent because there's some important things in there. I don't want to spend a ton of time, but let's look in, inside of there. Um, in particular, I want us to see, first of all, these three objects um, here on the left side of the screen. The bottom left, we, this is a table uh, that's known as the table of presence. It's like our communion table, but it's a little bit different. On it, uh, those round things are actually loaves of bread. There's 12 loaves, one for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And and uh, this is not meant to be an offering to God. These, these loaves of bread were not meant to be an offering to God, but rather a reminder of how God has provided for the Israelites already. So it was actually meant to be consumed by the people. And the priests would eat it every week, uh, and then they would renew the bread. It was made of fine flour. So they, they got, the priests got the best food. Um, remember that, pastors, priests get the best food. When we're out there eating pancakes in a moment, that's okay. Um, all right. So uh, the table of presence are known as the showbread. Then across from there, you see this menorah uh, thing. It's a very tall light, and it was to represent the light of God. It was always lit. It was the only light that was in this uh, tent, and um, and it was made to look like a bush, like a tree, and it was is kind of representative of an almond tree. And it, it was also very similar to the bush that Moses encountered when he first encountered God, the burning bush. And so it's it's the presence of God and His light in this place, and then. Then we get to this final um, like 
tall, skinny um, altar. It's known as the altar of incense. And, and on top of this was coals, and the priest would drop incense there, and the smoke would rise to God as a pleasing aroma, and it represented the prayers of the people. And there was always, there was always smoke from incense being burned in there um, to suggest that the prayers of the people were not only pleasing to the Lord, the aroma was pleasing to the Lord, but they were always burning. The, the prayers were never ceasing. Now, this created this smoke filter uh, veil um, to, to divide the Holy of Holies and the priest. And there was a veil there. You can kind of see it torn away where there's the ark um, behind it where the, actually the presence of God was. But on the most holy day, the Day of Atonement, Yom, Yom Kippur, um, the high priest would go close or open that veil and go and and meet with god and this smoke from the altar of incense would mask um uh the the priest from the presence of god so that it was a protection thing there now let's look a little bit at the ark Uh, many of you are probably familiar a little bit with uh what this is this was in the holy of holies this was completely separate this was the place where god resided um this the cabinet there was hollow in the center and inside of it was where the Ten Commandments uh, were, were stored. And then on top of it, um, these figurines that are um, kind of surrounding the, side, the sides in the center there is where they say the presence of God was. And, and so this is, this is ultimately uh, the place where we understand what's inside of then the, the tabernacle and the Holy of Holies. Now, I'm kind of sharing this all with you just to give us a backdrop because there's something really interesting that's happening. As I was researching, I kept seeing over and over uh, as I was listening to different theologians about this process of building the tabernacle that I thought, we've got to talk about this. This is so important for us. As Moses is up on Mount Sinai there with God for 40 days, not only is he de- um, God is delivering the, the Ten Commandments to Moses, but he's also giving the instructions for how to create all of this stuff that's going to go inside of the tabernacle and surrounding the tabernacle. And, and, and what God does is he gives the instructions to Moses in seven parts, seven parts. And, and this is something, if you're taking notes, I, I want you to, to write this down, um, because this is, this is really awesome. It's really cool. So, uh, in seven moments throughout the time that God was meeting with Moses, talking about the tabernacle, uh, we have this phrase that says, the Lord said to Moses, it appears in Exodus 25, 1, Exodus 30, 11, 30, 17, 30, 22, 30, 34, 31, 1, and 31, 12. Write those down so you can go back and kind of, you can see how this all works out. And I've already referenced another moment when we talk about creation, right? Genesis 1 and 2, uh, God creates everything that we know and experience in seven days. And then here we have these instructions for how to create the tabernacle in seven movements. Now I want to point something out to you. In Genesis 2, verses 2 and 3, this is how the end of the creation of our universe reads. It says, by the seventh day... God had finished the work that he had been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all of his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all of the work of creating that had been done. Now, if we go back to the tabernacle and, and, and we see this last time that, that we see this phrase, the Lord said to Moses, it's found in Exodus 31, 12 through 14. Do you know what the reference is about there? Can anyone guess? It's about Sabbath. I'm going to read this for you. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. 
For this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Now, here's the thing. These these creation accounts are vastly different. The, the first creation account in Genesis 1, it, it took God less than two chapters to talk about everything that he created. But I want to point this out. As he's creating something, as he's creating order, as he's, as he's making something from nothing, he, he does that creation and then he fills his creation. The first day we have light. The fourth day we have sun. First day is dark. Then we also have moon. We've got land and, and animals. We've got water and fish. We've got sky and birds. He creates this space and then he fills it. Now when we look to the creation of the tabernacle, the, the instructions are given to man. He gave, he gave these instructions to Moses and he said, these are the two people that I want to, you to have them created. Their names were Oholiab and Bezalel. I'm sure I mispronounced those names, but they were master craftsmen. They were given this skill by God. And, and th- so these skilled craftsmen are going to create these objects and create these boundaries and create structure for this place where ultimately God is going to reside. And the people of Israel are going to help Oholiab and, and Bezalel and, and, and all of this stuff is going to be made. And it took 50 chapters, remember, 50 chapters of instructions and then an entire year of actual construction and building for these people to create this place where God was going to reside. But here's the thing. It wasn't man who filled the tabernacle. All they were doing was creating structure. All they were doing was creating beauty and it was beautiful. All they were doing was following the instructions of God. It was God, though, who was going to fill this tabernacle. In Exodus chapter 40, verses 34, it says this. This is the completion of the tabernacle. And Moses erected the court around the tabernacle and the altar and set up the screen of the gate of the court. And so Moses finished the work, okay? But verse 34 says, then... The cloud covered the tent of meeting and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. See, it's simple for God to make a universe and then fill it. It's easy for him to do. All he has to do is speak and something comes from nothing. All he has to do is speak and it's created and it's filled. And there's, there's order where there was once chaos. There's something where there was once nothing. But for man, we take significant amounts of instruction and planning, and time, but we still can't fill it. We can't do that. That's what God does. God is the one who does the filling. See, the tabernacle is really supposed to represent for us a new creation. That's what this story is all about. That's what these 50 chapters are all about. This is a a new way of life for the people of God, and God's presence is going to be right at the center of it. This is a new creation for them. No longer are the Israelites, the people of God, to do the things that they they had always been done. They're not going to revert back to the pagan ways that they learned in Egypt. They're not going to revert back to some other way of life. What they're going to do is they're going to follow the explicit instructions that God gave to them to say, I'm going to be at the center of your encampment. I am going to fill this temple, this tabernacle. I will be with you. My presence will be here and I will be the center of your lives. This is the new way, the new life. And I want us to hear this because this is so important for us. When we choose 
as followers of Jesus, to surrender to the authority of God, when we accept the gift of forgiveness that Jesus paid for, we too are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And guess what? God when we become a new creation, He fills this temple, this new creation with His Holy Spirit. Because we are the temple. We are the tabernacle of the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and, the, and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? you see why this is important for us to know about the tabernacle that the Israelites had? Don't you see why it's important for us to... Now, Okay, uh, just hold on for a minute, though, because there's still some cool stuff coming. I promise, I promise. Okay, so there's these moments throughout the story of the tabernacle and the temple where we hear of God's presence creating these spectacular events. God's presence is often marked by smoke. It was up on Mount Sinai. It's also often marked by fire. It was also on Mount Sinai. In the tabernacle, we see smoke, we see fire. The first time that the, the man, the people of God, offered this, this um, uh, sacrifice for forgiveness there at the tabernacle, this is what happens. This is in Leviticus chapter 9. So the priests offer this sin offering, and then something powerful happens. Moses and Aaron, they go into the tent, and when they come out to bless the people, uh, and they, they tell them they're, they're forgiven of their sin. And this is from verses 23 and 24 of Leviticus 9. Let me read this for, for us. And Moses and Aaron went into the tent of meeting, and when they came out, they blessed the people, and the glory of the Lord appeared to all of the people. I, I can't even imagine what that must have been like. To see the glory of the Lord come out of this tent and appear to all of the people. There, there, there are accounts of when Moses was meeting with God and he would come back to the Israelites and he was glowing. His skin was glowing because he, it was, it actually says it was shining because he had been in the presence of God for so long. It was shining so much that he actually had to create a veil so the people of God didn't see. It was, it was hurting their eyes so much because he was glowing by being in the presence of God. And here, the people of God also experienced this, the glory of the Lord appearing to them. Verse 24 though, and then a fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the pieces of fat on the altar. And when all the people saw it, they shouted and they fell on their faces in worship. That's awesome. Now, the only... I, I can't imagine exactly what this must have been like, but I thank God for Steven Spielberg. Oh, man, he is a wonderful man. Uh, very creative, very very talented. I um, uh, when I was a child, of course, I'm sure many of you have seen uh, Indiana Jones or the Lost Ark, and this is the image that I have, right? Of of when after the the Ark of the Covenant's been opened and all of these people are surrounding it, and this is the final image where the fire is coming down from heaven and is going to go right into the Ark. This this is how I imagine this being. Of course, the only people that survived were the ones that didn't look at God, didn't look at the presence. Everyone else was consumed, which created nightmares for me as a child um but thank you steven spielberg so just after hollywood opens the ark of the covenant fire consumes everyone that looked at it and uh and so 
flashing back to Leviticus 9, it's, it's kind of this similar thing. This fire goes out from the tent. It consumes the offering and the, and the fat of everything, and then it fills, it fills the temple. From out of the ark, fire moved, and then it fills the temple. It must have been astounding. It must have been a beautiful sight, right? Uh, later, with the building of Solomon's temple, it's based on the tabernacle plans. The temple is, is built. It's completed. Uh, and there's this similar display of God's glory. In Second Chronicles 7, uh, verses 1 through 3, it says, as, And as soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. And when all of the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground and on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, For He is good, and His steadfast love endures forever. Now, after Jesus was crucified, fast forward here. Upon His death, we read about this in Mark chapter 15. Jesus gives up his life on the cross and the veil that separated the presence of God and the Holy of Holies from the rest of that temple, it was torn from top to bottom. Upon Christ's death, something changed in the structure of how God was going to interact with his people. We know Jesus was resurrected three days after he was placed in the tomb. And then he met with all of his followers, right? About 500 of them. And they traveled to Jerusalem. And then he ascends back into heaven. And then comes this story about the day of Pentecost. Now, I, I love this because the followers have, had been meeting with Jesus. And then he ascends and he leaves them. But he says to them, I'm going to leave with you. Who knows? Right? My spirit and uh, and so here it is in Pentecost, which, by the way, the, the Pentecost is, is a festival celebrating the giving of the law to the Israelites that came to them on Mount Sinai 50 days after all of this stuff. The, the, the celebration of the law, that moment in Exodus 24, Jesus' disciples, they're all gathered. And then as they're gathered together, fire from God fell down from heaven and rested on their heads. The presence of God now inhabited the people of God. Just as Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 3.16, people became the temple of God where his fiery presence would rest and remain and dwell. So we learn from the tabernacle that God forgives. We learn from the tabernacle that God provides We learn from the tabernacle that God is light, that God loves to hear our prayers, and that God is present and wants to be in the center of our lives, right? We know, too, from the Israelites that it can be difficult to keep our focus on God even when he is at the center of our lives. See, this is the challenging part for you and me. When we see the fire of God in our lives, it it's easy to worship him. It's easy to bow our hearts and surrender to the will when it's happening right there in front of us, right? But, but what happens when, when we go about our daily lives? What happens when we enter into the chaos that surrounds us? When we, when we go back home and, and the kids are running around the house and, and they're screaming everywhere and, and there's toys all over the floor and the, the sink is full or, or maybe, maybe you have to go to the office and you've got a boss that is just riding you and, and you know you've got a presentation coming up this week and there's a lot of stress. What happens then? 
How do we keep God at the center of our lives in those moments? What about when there's disease? What about when there's no money? What about those moments when, when we feel like we have no control over what's going on in our lives? Is God at the center of our lives in that moment? See, the challenge for us is to find a way to keep Him there. To create that space for Him to exist. To create that place that He can fill in our lives. I want us to think about this for a moment. I want us to take an inventory, of, just take an inventory of your life over the last few days or weeks. Think about the moments that you've experienced um, and, and the things that you have had to process and think through. For instance, how many of you, like me, like me, went online a week ago and, uh, and you went onto your you know, financial portfolio to see how much it tanked after the coronavirus dropped the stock market? Right? Is that terrible to do? Is it, is it terrible to go check that stuff out? No. What's terrible is to say, my future is in peril. I don't know. I've lost so much money. Now, I didn't lose much money because I don't have much money there. But some of you may have lost a lot of money. <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's wrong when we, when we look to those things in our lives and we say, this is so important to me. It's almost an idol that we've created. Right? We need to, we need to think about all the ways that God tells us that He will provide for us, because He does. And, and we, we need to, to take a moment and, 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 and analyze those moments when we're becoming anxious about those things in our lives and, and say, how can I put God in the center of this rather than that being the thing I'm focused on? How do we give praise to Him in the midst of all of our circumstances, the joyous times and the hard times? How do we celebrate Him? How do we worship Him? How do we fall down our face and say the Lord is steadfast and His love endures forever? See, all of this is just uh, an example of a greater point that I want to make. How we live is a reflection of how we worship God. The tabernacle was created to give space for the people of God to worship Him. And now that we as followers of Jesus are His tabernacle, how are we making space to worship Him in all of the areas of our lives? I want to make one example, and this one might sting a little bit. I apologize for that. Not too much, but a little bit. As a pastor, one of the things that I do focus on is church attendance. It's just a reality. And, um, and I do it because it's important for us. When we make church a regular routine in our lives, when we say what God said to us on the seventh day of creation and on the seventh day of creating the tabernacle, that we need to honor the Sabbath because it's what makes us holy. When, when we take that and we say, I'm going to set aside one day a week of worship to God, and we make that our routine and we stick to it, God shapes our lives into worship creations. He shapes our lives to become more like Christ. This is how it's done. When we come together and we say, I am going to set aside this hour, one hour a week, what we're saying to the world around us is that we say, God is higher than anything else in my life. There's no sport, no job, nothing that can separate me from this routine that I need to make a part of my life. Does that sting? I'm sorry if it does. It's true, though. We need to keep God first. 
not only on Sunday mornings, we need to find ways in our lives that we can open up those spaces so that God can fill them. Because here's the reality. Ben, come on up. Here's the reality. If you don't create a space for God, then there's nothing for Him to fill. So where in your life do you know you need a space for God? Is it in your home? Is it with your children or your spouse? How do you make that space so that you can worship God in those relationships? Is it at work? Is it in how you treat your coworkers or, or how you perform? How can you make space for God in that place? Is it when you're driving your car in the middle of traffic on 270? How do you, how do you worship God with all of those other people? Sorry. We have to make space for God so that He can fill that place. That's what this is about. Allowing God to be at the center of our lives. Allowing Him to fill us with His presence. Creating that place. What's true on Mount Sinai in Exodus 24 is still true today. God is consistently making ways to be with us. So we need to make ways to create space for Him. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for this story that you've given to us, this grand narrative of your people. How you've provided a place for them to worship you, to make you the center and the focus. And God, now as we sit here in 21st century Ohio, so far separated from the tabernacle, so far separated from Mount Sinai and the temple and even, even Christ in that moment on Pentecost, God, I pray that we would find ways that we can open up our lives, every nook and cranny, to create space for you. Because we want you to fill it, and we trust that you will fill this space. Let us worship you in every area of our lives. Let us find ways, let us discover new ways to do that. We thank you so much that you create those places, that you give us instructions to do that. So come and fill it, we pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon audio. If you're loving Quest Podcast, let us know on Facebook or Twitter by using the hashtag GoToQuest. For more information on Quest, who we are, and what God is doing here, or if you would like to help support Quest financially, please visit us at gotoquest.org. That's G-O-T-O-Quest.org. Thanks for listening.